Welcome to the Transform Podcast. My name is Andrew Farhat. I'm here with special guest PJ Arsvald. He is our campus pastor at Renewal Church in the Highlands of Denver. If you want to check out Renewal Church, you can go to renewaldenver.org. Uh, worship services are at 10 a.m. in the Highlands. They're at 3120 Irving Street. Beautiful worship center, beautiful congregation. Um, and today we are going to hit a topic uh, that is a common question uh, that I think hopefully will give some inspiration to believers, but then also perhaps a little bit of context to somebody who maybe is considering Christianity. Would you say that's a, a fact, PJ? Yeah, I definitely think that it's really helpful to reinforce it for Christians, but especially if you're kind of what is the church, it's really helpful to talk about. Yeah, so the question is, what is the church all about? And I think that's a big question because I think in the past 20 years, um, wouldn't you say that the church has gotten a bad rap? Like you've heard the you've heard statements such as "I like Jesus, but I don't like the church," or "I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't think I have to go to church." Um, and then there was the emerging church movement, and then they really emphasized some things that we're going to talk about. But then, but we also know that they maybe kind of, you know, overreacted and maybe <laughs> took things a little too far. So this is an opportunity for us to get biblically and theologically grounded. The Apostle Paul says that we are to have sound teaching, so uh, I look forward to that. Uh, PJ is a graduate from Concordia Seminary, my alma mater, so he's fresh with solid sound teaching, <laughs> aren't you, PJ? Well, I, I tend to believe that you learn more and, and get better as you go, hopefully, God willing. So I don't know, I'm still fresh, but hopefully okay. can share some things. I'm looking for some theological, exegetical, depth today from you. Uh, I'm just kidding. Okay, so here we go. What is the church all about? And I think that let's just start off with what I think is the most common misunderstanding. The church is a building. Uh, PJ, can you comment on that statement? Is the church a building? Yeah, um, the short answer is church as we should know it is no, it is not a building. Um, now, obviously, we talk about going to church and you know, oh, the church on this corner. And that's a helpful shorthand to kind of reference where a community of believers gathers. Uh, but as you're hinting at here, the church is not specifically a building. Um, the word that it comes from in Greek is ekklesia, um, which means an assembly. And so first and foremost, hmm. the church is a body of believers. Um, it is the people specifically. And so the church is Christians. Um, Christians gathered around God's word, around his promises, around his gifts, his commands. Um, and so, no, it's not just a building. And that's where a lot of the misconception happens. And you say, oh, this is my church. That's a building that you used to gather and that's good. Yeah. But the church is, your church is actually your congregation, the people you're with. Right. So churches, uh, for the first 300 years or so, they didn't have buildings. They just yeah. met in homes, right? Yeah. So we think of a church as... Uh, a building with a steeple and a cross somewhere. And then, of course, you got to have your church sign with some cool things that you write <laughs> yeah. on it these days. Um, but you're saying the church is ecclesia, Greek word, which means called out people of God to be an assembly um, so that they're assembling together. And so that's a that's a powerful word, assembling together. And so mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit, PJ, about the strain of individualism in Western, uh, hist kind of Western cultures, such as ours. How has that impacted Christians in North America? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. And I think I touched on this a little bit last time I was on your podcast. 
Um, but when you kind of have this whole enlightenment movement, there was kind of a shift to knowledge and understanding and truth being something exterior to something that kind of is first and foremost founded on me. And so this kind of grows. And especially if you think about our founding fathers did a lot of really great things, but our country was based on the premise of a lot of individual liberty, that I have the freedom to do what mm -hmm. I want. And so there's a lot of centered on me. And mm -hmm. so we tend to live in a society where our first and foremost thought is my life, my experiences, my thoughts. And so everything kind of comes through an I filter before it comes to a broader we filter, um, which is a shift from most of human history, a lot more collectivist societies. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that hurts us here too is our language. Now, English has a lot of beautiful things, so I'm not trying to hate on the English language. But one challenge with the English language is a lot of verbs, a lot of nouns um, don't distinguish between singular or plural. So I can talk to you, Andrew, and say, hey, you did a great job. Or I could get in front of a band tomorrow and say, hey, you did a great job. And those are, one case I'm talking to you, person, yeah. one case I'm talking to a group, but I use the same word. Mm -hmm. And so most of the scripture, a, a lot of the language in there um, is in Hebrew and Greek, and which distinguishes. So a lot of the promises, a lot of the commands yeah. are collective. It's like God saying, hey, I have a plan for all of you mm -hmm. for as a people, as a group. Um, but as English speakers, as people living in a very individual society, um, we tend to hear that first and foremost for me. And then secondarily, you know, sometimes we get around to covering the group, but really a lot of scripture is group, people, yeah. assembly. So what you're saying is when we hear you, we think singular. Yes. Uh, however, in the Greek, it is often plural, but we translate it as you in English. Yeah. So you can't tell. You can't really tell unless you understand, unless you take a closer look at the con context. Exactly. Uh, and then, of course, if you know Greek, it can be helpful. But that's a really powerful thing you're saying, you in the plural. That's how God's talking to us as the people of God. So that means we're together. We're not individual. We're not separate. We're united. And that's what I would hear you saying. Now, I think that when people are listening to this, though, they're probably going to say, well, wait a sec, though. Our country is founded on individual liberty and freedom. And so that's why a lot of people left stuff in Europe that they were not happy with experiencing and they came here to, to get things rolling. Um, and so now, uh, can you contrast, okay, the, there's a good of the plurality and collectivism in the congregation, but yet there's also a positive thing about our country too. So maybe can you talk a little bit about how those could both be positives in some way? Oh yeah, I think that's one of the cases where um, God's word and what he has can speak differently to different groups. So there are very extreme collectivist groups where what you want doesn't matter at all and just you know be quiet and listen to the group. And then the other extreme is whatever you want is the most important. Um, I grew up in a small town and we have a very tight-knit community. And mm -hmm. it's kind of similar where in that setting, one of the blessings is when you go through a tragedy, every person in town knows and every person in town rallies. The downside is when you mess up, everybody in the town is talking about it. So it's kind of similar where for a individualist society, we sometimes need to be reminded of the collective nature of the church. And for some collectivists, there's also some good promises about the individual that, um, hey, if you're the only believer in this setting, it's, it's okay. You know, Jesus talks about leaving the 99 sheep for the one. And so there is an elevation. And so um, when we think of like our country, there's a lot of really great blessings of individual liberty. And even like in our own church tradition, 
um, the Saxon German Lutherans over there, mm-hmm. um, they were in a society that said, all right, we don't like all these denominations. We're going to kind of mix and match them all together and kind of everyone get on board with this kind of big compromise. Mm-hmm. And these Christians were saying, wait a minute, there's some really important things in here we don't agree with. And so in that case, they were saying, we can't just subscribe to the, the collective wholeheartedly. And so they needed to come to the new, you know, North America um, mm-hmm. to be able to practice what they thought was faithful and right. And so there are okay. some huge blessings to yeah. having some of those individual liberties, but they can be taken too far where that becomes kind of like a God in and of itself. That becomes everything. Okay, so what I hear you saying is there have been some blessings towards individual liberty, people being able to leave certain regimes to, to kind of get the ball rolling in our country, but that can be taken too far if we bring all of that into the church because then it becomes, all right, um, is the music for me? Is the children's ministry for me? Is the youth ministry for me? Is everything for me? And then you can become kind of a consumer, and then pretty soon everybody's going to go to the bigger and better mega church where all of that is top notch. Um, and then now that is not to say that we don't need to improve all of those ministries at every congregation, but I think the mindset can be taken a little bit too far. Mm-hmm. So even, yeah, I'll just say even on the flip side, you can church shop to a smaller church. Well, I want a smaller feel. And the point being just that it can become really easy on what do I want versus what does God want for me? And what's God calling me to do in partnership with this community? Yeah, exactly. I think that's a stronger question, biblically. All right, so ecclesia, PJ, gathering. Yep. What if I don't feel like gathering? Like, what if I wake up on Sunday morning, every Sunday, and I'm like, man, I really would rather... Uh, read, drink coffee, Uh, the Broncos are going to be playing at 11 a.m., so that kind of conflicts with the 10 a.m. start time you have, right? Because I I need to just, I have to be there opening kickoff if it's an 11 a.m. start, Uh, maybe even have a mimosa ready, (laughs) Um, you know, so like what if I don't feel like gathering so much? Um, What if I just want to come when I feel like it? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I, I think that's where we have to be honest that sometimes um, the idea of going to worship on a Sunday morning doesn't always sound the greatest. I think, you know, I think for all of us, COVID was a wake up call. It's like, oh, it is kind of nice to have a Sunday morning, even for some of us lifelong Christians who, who very much enjoy. Um, and so we realize that it's not always going to be yippee skippy. I'm just running out the door, like, give me there ASAP. Yeah. Um, but what we talked about earlier is that um, God and a lot of his promises are for the group, that he desires us to be part of something. And so there's all sorts mm-hmm. of language that the Bible uses that we'll dive into about why it's important to gather with the rest of the church. Again, because realizing that the church is the people, um, mm-hmm. that we are called to be with them. Um, but realizing that this is how God intends it. Um, mm-hmm. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, it's a kind of exploration of Christian community. He talks about Christian community is not an ideal, but a divine reality. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just that we want to form a really good community. It's whether or not you know it, whether or not you feel like it, whether or not you like it, you are part of this community. And so mm-hmm. to just stop worshiping or just kind of base it all on how you feel is to neglect people who really need mm-hmm. you, um, yeah. your brothers and sisters. It'd be like, you know, I don't really feel like going to family Thanksgiving anymore because they're not very interesting and I could get so much done around the house. And so I'm just going to stop talking mm-hmm. to my brothers and sisters, you know? Yeah. Got a responsibility there. Right. Yeah. And so there's a divine reality you're talking about. Mm-hmm. 
But then there's a divine thing that happens in a person's life, and it's called the gospel, mm-hmm. impacting their lives. Gospel's good news. Jesus died and rose for your sin and your salvation. Uh, that means he rose again from the dead so that you would no longer live the old life, but rather you would walk in the newness of life. It says, if anyone, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Yeah. Uh, now, Jesus talks about this as being born again, uh, John chapter 3, verse 3. Or Peter We'll talk about it as born of the Spirit. Um, and so it's the Spirit of God who comes to dwell in the believer. Um, and so, and, and I would say this as a kind of a challenge to uh, maybe some people, is that in the church there's uh, weed and wheat. So not everybody that's been affiliated possesses the Holy Spirit according to that parable. So that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. And then, so I would say, hey, if you are constantly and consistently not interested in attending, or you're constantly and consistently fighting your spouse who wants to attend, but maybe you don't want to attend, I would say maybe it's time to go back to not do, but who are you in Christ? Mm. Because if Christ dwells in you, he's going to give you a desire to be there. And then what I would say is, for others who are out there who are just kind of figuring this stuff out, the the beauty is that God calls you out of a self-centered, sinful life, and He's calling you to something bigger with a community who's on a mission and has a purpose, and that divine purpose is advancing the gospel all over the world. So it's like, that's a big thing that's bigger than just me and my needs. So you get to be a part of it. Yeah, no, um, that's a really good way to put it um, because uh, it's a great joy and a great blessing to get to be part of that. It's, you know, that's where sometimes even with attending worship, we can kind of make it so much finger wagging, just like do it, be quiet, get there, you know, check it off the box. But um, there should be something else that wants to go because it is amazing what God is doing, mm-hmm. um, not only for us, but through us, um, for one another and for the world in witnessing. Like you said, it's, it's not just me, but as a church, we are bringing the gospel to the world. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So God, so it's like a, uh, God depicts the church as sheep who mm-hmm. are in community with their shepherd. Yeah. Um, and so he is calling the sheep to be together and then sheep need to be fed, don't they? Yeah. Um, and one of the ways, this is another point, that we hope you'll take away is one of the ways that God has set up to feed his sheep, nurture his sheep, is with the preaching of the word. So in the New Testament, I think we often think of the word of God as written, mm-hmm. but in the New Testament, it often shows up as spoken. Yeah. In the book of Acts, it's spoken. Um, it, one example is in Acts chapter six, they said, hey, we can't devote ourselves to taking care of Uh, the widow's meal ministry, but we're going to devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and prayer. And then you have this oral or spoken trajectory throughout the book of the spoken word of God. And so, um, and then what we see is this shows up in the pastoral epistles as well. So second, uh, second Timothy chapter four, verse two, Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. He doesn't say, 
preach the scriptures, although it's understood that he's going to be uh, giving instruction or exposition of scripture. But we see that he's saying you're going to declare God's yeah. word in an oral fashion to your sheep. And, and, and so I guess I'd say, man, this is a blessing that God has set up. So you get to be a part of the church family, a part of the fold, but then God wants to feed you. Man, and I'm kind of thinking, man, if you aren't fed, that's not a good thing. Um, and, and, but the preaching of the word of God is set up to nurture your faith. Yeah, oh, 100%. And that's where um, part of the gifts, like the, this gathering is meant to be a blessing to you. It's not meant to mm-hmm. just be a nuisance or just a you know, symbol to the world like, hey, I, I'm a good Christian. But God wants to speak to you. And he actually has said that he's going to speak to you through preaching, um, through direct promises to you. And this is where the, it's kind of cool. I talked about English earlier. Um, when we as pastors say, you know, God has forgiven you, you can hear that both ways and they're both true. God has forgiven you as a mm-hmm. congregation and God has forgiven you as an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so he wants you to hear his word, not just, um, again, kind of me and Jesus, but he's given people to mediate it. And then yeah. with that too, we celebrate what our, we refer to as the sacraments. Um, so specifically um, the gifts of baptism and communion, where God is actually doing something for his people. He's actually giving them promises. He's giving them gifts of the spirit, of forgiveness, of salvation, of mm-hmm. new life. Yeah. Um, and so we gather around not just the preached word, but we also gather on the word in, embodied in the form of water, um, of his very body and blood and bread and wine. Um, mm-hmm. And so if you're not gathering in worship, you're not, again, you're missing out on a gift that God is saying, I want you to have this because you need nourishment, like you said. Yeah. I want you to be fed. I want you to mm-hmm. experience my love um, tangibly. And being cut off from that, you run the risk of you know, starving. Right. So you're going to get a lot of, you're going to get a lot of nourishment by what Jesus has set up here for you. Yes. And if, yes, you need that, that blessing. And I love what you said about speaking forgiveness over the congregation is, you know, that's a, that's a nice thing, man, when you're going through life and ups and downs and hills and valleys and whatever, but then you can have your shepherd proclaim absolution. Absolution means to pronounce forgiveness. Yeah. That's huge just to hear that from your shepherd who is working for Jesus. Um, and then I guess I would say as we, before we move on, the Hebrews 13, 17 says a pastor keeps watch over your soul. I remember when I was at a life group once and uh, one person who was there, she goes, that's a really comforting thought. Hmm. So Jesus has set up this pastor that's pastoral ministry. We call it a pastoral office sometimes. Mm-hmm. That his role is to keep watch over my soul to make sure that I'm good, to make sure my soul's fed, to make sure my soul's okay, to make sure that I'm going to be fine in the end. You know, so it's like, you know, all of this is for your good. Like none of this is like God wants good for you. God 100%. wants the best for you, you know, and this is one way he's done it. PJ, I really want to key in on one thing you talked about there. Yeah. Because I think it's been really important for Christians for 2,000 years. And it's communion. Mm. Uh, we've called it communion because we're communing with Jesus. We're communing with each other. Um, Christians early on started to call it a sacrament, which is a Latin word, which means mystery. Mm-hmm. And it's a mystery because there's this mystical communion with the true body of Christ vertically, and a mystical communion with 
uh, the saints living and departed somehow as believers. Yeah. And so it's a powerful thing. And so Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. What powerful words. And so what can you say more about the gift of the sacrament that we gather around each Sunday? Yeah, I mean, there's we could have several podcast episodes on just that. Yeah. Uh, but I love what you brought up about it's not just vertical, and that certainly is. I mean, it is a profound mystery. And from the very beginning, the Christian church has always grappled with how in the world does Jesus give us his body and blood? It just doesn't. It's beyond our comprehension, and yet he has promised these great gifts in it. Uh, but I love how you highlighted the horizontal aspect, too, because um, sometimes even communion can be kind of the individual, kind of just me and Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's kind of like a family meal. It's, we're all gathering around to celebrate and to receive. Um, and so it's, again, kind of going back to some of the other analogies. Just like you gather around a table with your brothers and sisters, with your family, it's us gathering around the same table, um, celebrating, and the host is um, Jesus. He's the one who's saying, hey, here you go. Take this mm-hmm. um, for all of you. And it, it's one of those that it shows unity in the church, but it also creates unity. It bonds us together um, in a kind of supernatural way. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That is great. And so, uh, so then when we gather, we get word and sacrament, and these are two gifts God's given to us to set us up for success and to help us because he wants our best you know, yeah. in our lives. So thank you for tuning in today. And this is going to be part one on what is the church all about? If you were blessed by this, or if you think there is somebody else in your life who you think could uh, be blessed by this content, we want to encourage you to share it um, to them. And we also invite you to follow as we love to share and spread the word of God, which transforms our lives. We'll see you next time.